Hey, well, today we are continuing a, a teaching series together um, that's called Project Self. Somebody say Project Self. Project Self, and what we've been looking at is of all the things to work on, of all the things that we need to work on, sometimes we need to do some work on self. We need to do some work on self. The United States government has many different departments and many different areas by which it functions and operates. We live in this uh, nation of the United States, and it is governed by many different branches and many different aspects of um, our country. And one of the departments that our country has is called the Department of the Interior. And the responsibility of the Department of the Interior is to um, make sure it's responsible for the management and the conservation of most of the federal lands and the natural resources in our country, as well as administration of programs related to various different kinds of people groups, um, and so on and so forth. The U.S. government feels it is necessary that they have a Department of the Interior. Now, what is the responsibility of any Government, it is to govern. It is simply to govern. And a good government must make sure that it is governing not only external forces and external things that are happening outside them, but a government that also governs things that happen inside the country. Do you think, just out of curiosity, do you think it's more important in our country, are things that are happening outside our country more important or things that are happening inside our country? Inside. They're both important, but it's absolutely critical that a nation understands how to govern itself so that it can be what it needs to be and do what it needs to do. I would like to argue today that you and I also need to have a department of the interior. You and I need to recognize that there are many important things that are happening outside us, external affairs, but there are just as many and maybe even more important things that are happening inside us. And it's critically important that you have a right relationship with self. Here's the title for today. It's this, a right relationship with Self, a right relationship with self. Let me just give you a quick review of a few things that we covered a, a couple weeks ago in this. We, we said this, other than your relationship with God, the most important relationship that you have is your relationship with self. It's more important than your friendships, than your, your coworkers, than your spouse, than your kids, than any other relationship. The most important relationship that you have outside your relationship with God is the relationship that you have with self. And what's going on inside you is so much more important than what's going on outside you. And there are two kinds of people. Those who are always focused on things that are happening outside them and always um, making excuses or making complaints about why they can't do or be what they want to be because of all the things that are happening outside. And then the people that take a look inside. And rather than blame and rather than point at all the external forces, they take a look inside and take responsibility for self. And they recognize that the greatest relationship and the most important thing that they have in their life outside this relationship with God is a relationship with self. And the scriptures say um, repeatedly that you and I are responsible for self. You are responsible for yourself. It is your job. It's not someone else's job. So look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and say, you are not my job. 
you are not my job. Some of you who are married, uh, you needed to hear that, didn't you? Um, What is your job? Your job is you. Your job is you. And the scriptures say that it is your responsibility to govern, lead, to take care of self. As we looked at throughout the, so much in the New Testament, put, put off the old self, put on the, the new self, take care of yourself, have this thing called self-control. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but gave, gave us a, a power, love, and self-control. Even one of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. It's the control of Self. And so I want to I want to look um, today at a scripture from the teaching of Jesus on hopefully helping us to understand how to have a right relationship with self. And I feel like if you can get this right and if you can own this and you can embody this will be one of the most transformative things that you can experience in your life. So we're in Matthew 22. Join me in Matthew 22. We're going to be in verses 34 through 40. This will be our anchor text for the day. And then I'll lace a few more together as we go through. We're in Matthew 22. And if you don't have a copy of the scripture, that's okay. We'll put it on the screen for you. It says this, Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34, it says this, but when the Pharisees, this is one of the religious leaders, one of the religious groups around Jesus during his day, they heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, another religious group. Jesus is always going back and forth with religious leaders. They don't understand him. They gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. We got some lawyers in our church, met with, met with a lawyer this week. Love lawyers. Lawyers are really smart. They're really smart. They're really logical. They really kind of understand how to, how to put a situation um, in the right place to, to test somebody. It says this in verse 36. They say, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. And then he one-ups them. He says, and this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, and this is a big statement, depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus essentially says, and the law and the prophets, essentially the Old Testament, you can sum everything down in the Old Testament to these two commands. Now, here's what I would like to do um, today. Very familiar passage, very, very famous passage. We, we've heard this, many of us, if you've been in church for any length of time, that, hey, the two greatest commands, you've got to um, love God, all heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then you've got to love your neighbor um, as yourself. And typically, when we think about this uh, passage and these two commands, we typically think that there are two recipients of our love. First, um, a recipient has to be God, that we're loving God and we're loving him in a way that we should rightly love him and that we should be loving others, that we need to be loving our neighbor, those who are around us, um, all of our neighbors. And and so we think that in this passage, there are two primary recipients of your love, which is God and your neighbor. I would like to advocate that there are actually three recipients of your love. Jesus would say, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's number one. He would say, love your neighbor. And then how does he say to love your neighbor as yourself? There's actually three recipients of love in this passage. It's God, it's neighbor, and it is self. It is 
self. And the scriptures also talk in a few other places about how we should have a right relationship with self, even this concept of loving ourself. One of the, the key passages is in Ephesians 5, verse 28 and 29. Um, uh, uh, Paul tells us how a husband and wife relationship should work and the kind of love that a husband should be giving to his wife. It says this in Ephesians 5, 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as what? Their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. I would like to advocate today that a right relationship with self is self-love. Self-love. Now, immediately, um, you're going to have a lot of different reactions to that. They're going to have a lot of different reactions in the room to the concept of self um, love. Um, I would even like to advocate the, uh, the uh, kind of an awkward statement that I would encourage you to say, um, which would be this, um, I love myself. I would like for you to just think about that um, mentally. C can you say the phrase, I love myself? It's kind of an awkward phrase. It's kind of an interesting, there's, there's a couple responses to this phrase. And the reason that it is awkward is because there's kind of two groups of people when we think about self and when we think about um, love and even loving ourselves. kind of two responses. Uh, I would say group A, this is a group of people that feels that it's kind of wrong or awkward or false to say that because you feel like you, that, that you shouldn't um, think that highly of yourself, that, that that's kind of a, a wrong view of self. Another group feels that it's wrong or false because you feel like you would never be able to love yourself, that you can't do that. But I would argue that a right relationship with self is a relationship with yourself that is self-love, that is self-love. As Jesus would say, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's what I want to do for the remainder of our time. There are two false views of self and a relationship with self, and I want to pit them against each other and then demonstrate why self-love is the right way to view yourself based on uh, this passage and what Jesus has instructed us. So here's, here's two false views of self, and I would say that everybody in the room falls into one of these two categories. Here's number one. Number one is this. I'll call it self-worship. Self-worship. This is self-idolization. This is self-centeredness. This is where you are at the center of your life and you are idolizing yourself, essentially making yourself a God. This is self-worship and it's a continuum, but perhaps you fall somewhere along the, this continuum. And here I'll say it this way. Self-worship is when you think too highly of yourself and you know that you have self-worship when you think, I didn't know that was a possibility. <laughs> That's how you know you fall in this category. Self-worship. Self-worship. Self-worship is the problem. It's the challenge. It's, it's really the sin of thinking too highly of yourself. Paul would say in Romans 12, 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Galatians 6, 3 would say, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This is the principle of self Deception. Did you know that you can be deceived? Did you know that um, you can be deceived not by things outside of yourself, but also by things inside of yourself? This is what's called self-deception. You ever met anybody that believed something that was wrong or believed something about themselves that was wrong? If you haven't, just look at yourself, okay? I mean, 
self, self-deception is when you are deceived and you actually de- deceive yourself in what you are believing. This is why mindset is so important. This is why beliefs are so important. This is why you have to make sure that your beliefs are actually tied to reality, to what God says, not to how you feel, not to what somebody else says, not to the things that are around you, but according to God, you gotta anchor it in that or otherwise you're always going to be self-deceived. You're gonna be thinking wrongly, deceiving yourself about what is true or what is not true about yourself the people around you, or the world. Um, this is self-worship. So you're like, well, Pastor Ethan, ha- ha- help me understand whether or not I have a problem with self-worship. So here, let me give you a few. Let's see, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven of these. Let's see how many of these are right about you, okay? Just between you and yourself, because this is about yourself, okay? Here, here's, here's the first one, number one. You are always disappointed with others around you. You're always disappointed with others around you. They just can't quite get it done like you could get it done. Here's another one, number two. You regularly think you've got the best idea in the room. You're like, man, I just can't wait to get to community group and I can tell people exactly what they need to know. I can't wait to show up to the board meeting and and give my idea and give my thought because everybody needs to know what I know and Here's number three. You think you're right most of the time. I think think I'm right most. You pretty much go throughout your day thinking that you're pretty much right all the time. What about this one, number four? It's easy for you to notice the bad in others. Your spouse, your friend, your boss. It's like easy for you to be critical. You can point out everything that's wrong about everybody else. Number five, it's, it's hard for you to give honor to others. It's hard for you to give honor to others. When's the last time that you honored your spouse? When's the last time that you honored your boss? When's the last time you honored an employee? When's the last time you honored a neighbor? When's the last time that you felt it necessary to speak highly of someone other than yourself? You have a hard time honoring others. How about this one, number six? You're not just disappointed when you fail, you're wrecked when you fail. You're not just disappointed when you, when you, when you mess up, you're like devastated when you mess up. And the reason is, isn't because of the thing that you did, it's because of how highly that you thought you, you were and that you were not even available or, or didn't have the possibility to do the thing that you did. And so rather than just be disappointed about what you've done, you're absolutely wrecked and devastated because you thought there was no possible way that you could ever do something like that. You're wrecked whenever you fail. Here, here's the last one, here's number seven. Um, you aren't good at receiving feedback from others. Um, others are a threat to you. What, what others say, you, you would prefer not to have anyone speak into what you're doing because you don't really need others to speak into what you are doing. This is self-worship, a false view of self. And the solution to self-worship is to be brought down. It's to be brought down. James 4, verse 6 and 10 would say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Stop trying to exalt yourself and let God be the one that exalts you. You're like, but, he, but I, I have to exalt myself. I have to get ahead. I have to do, I have to, I, I have to, I have to. No, you be in the business of humbling yourself, making sure that you have a right relationship with self and let God be in the business of exalting you when it's necessary. 
You focus on humility, God will focus on exalting. That's the, that's the solution to self-worship. Can I just ask you today, pastorally, um, do you struggle with self-worship today? Do, do you struggle with viewing yourself in that way? Um, like Pastor Ethan, you, it's amazing how well you can articulate self-worship. That's because this is what I struggle with. <laughs> I always think I'm right. I always think I have the best idea in the room. I, I, I have moments of insecurity and don't tell me what to do and don't tell me how to do this. And, and it, man, if people would just listen to me and people would just follow, I have to continually be in the business of humbling myself before God and others and trust that in the right time, he will exalt me. He will put me where he wants me to be. Do you struggle with self-worship um, today? Do you struggle with self-worship? Now, here's, here's the other false view. The other extreme, here's number two, is this. Not self-worship, but... Self-loathing. Self-loathing. This is the opposite. This is, the, this is a spectrum. This is a continuum, and you fall somewhere along this continuum. You got self-worship on, on one side all the way over here, and then you got self-loathing all the way on this. This is self-hatred. This is self-loathing. Um, what is self-loathing? I'll say it this way. Self-loathing is when you think too lowly of yourself. A person that struggles with self-worship thinks too highly of themselves, person that struggles with self-loathing thinks too lowly of themselves. Now here's where it gets tricky for Christians. Christians always make things a little tricky. Here's where it gets Christy, or tricky for Christians. Um, I almost made up a new word. Critchy or critch, anyways. Um, it gets tricky for Christians. And, and here's why. Because we're taught, well, Pastor Ethan, we, we have to deny ourselves. Like we gotta, like we're, we're kind of bad. And we need to like deny ourselves because we shouldn't, like in there, there's a lot wrong with, um, with, with us. You know, I've even quote a verse for you. Luke 9, 23, Jesus would say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I think that's why I should think of the way that I think about myself, Pastor Ethan. I should deny myself. Now here's what's crazy. A lot of Christians and a lot of different movements kind of struggle with this one. Um, my granny, she's Pentecostal holiness. I've told you stories about her. And basically the view of Pentecostal holiness is God is holy and I suck. That's basically the view of thinking about the way that you should relate to yourself. Forgive my language, but it's, it's kind of fitting. Well, God is so holy and I'm pretty awful. Like I'm pretty terrible and I'm pretty much this awful thing, but Bless God that he loves me. You know, like, it's kind of, kind of that. And, and then not only in, even in kind of those circles, there's other, even in the Reformed camp. The re Reformed people, I mean, this is concept of total depravity, which is like understandably like a good theological term, but it's, it's translated and interpreted into, I'm pretty much awful, like all the time, and everything about me is pretty much bad and horrible. Like, and I'm just a, a terrible person. So there's even sometimes within Christianity that we even bake in this idea of self-loathing. And I would like to articulate and argue that there's a difference between self-denial, what Jesus tells us to do, and self-demonization. Self-denial is simply, it's, it's stripping away your self-centeredness. It's functioning and operating in such a way that you're not at the center of your life and you're gonna deny yourself, your own comforts, your own conveniences, your own desires in order to participate in Jesus as letting him be king, letting him be Lord, letting him be God rather than you. Self-denial simply is the stripping away of your self-centeredness. Self-demonization, however, is the stripping away of your worth and your dignity. I just... Demonize me. I, I, don't, I don't matter. I don't have any value. I don't have any, any worth. I don't have any dignity. 
We went through a list of how you know that you have a problem with self-worship. Um, Let's do a list of how you know you have a problem with self-loathing. There's one, two, three, four, five, six. See how many of these are right of yourself. Here's number one. You constantly, you're constantly comparing yourself to those around you. You're so, so concerned about other, other people and what they're doing and what, what they have and what, what this and, and that. You're, you're always, look, your focus is always on other people. You're, you're, you're constantly comparing yourself to those around you. How about this one? Number two, you don't feel you've got much to add or contribute to others. You're like, I just, I just don't really feel like I contribute anything. I just don't feel like I add anything. I'm not even sure why I'm here because I don't really feel like I actually make an impact in anything. How about this, number three? You feel more like a bother than a blessing to others. I just, I, I know that I'm not really a blessing to other people. I'm really more of a, a bother and, you know, my family would be way much better even, even if I wasn't here or if I don't even know why I'm here. How about number four, this? You don't believe you have a purpose. You don't believe you have a purpose. It's like you're just kind of existing here. You're just present, but there actually isn't anything positive that you should be doing with your life. You don't feel like you have a purpose. Number five, you feel like God is always disappointed at you. You live in a steady state of disappointment because of how you think God views you. He's just always disappointed at you all the time. And that's how you feel. How about this last one, number six? You feel disqualified because of your failures. And you just, well, because of the things that I've done and because of the things that have been done to me, I just don't have, I'm not qualified anymore to actually make a positive impact or to serve to the people that are around me. If the solution to self-worship is to be brought low, the solution to self-loathing is to be brought up. Self-worship and self-loathing. It makes me think about a balloon. Um, we all have seen balloons at parties and events and different things like that. And if you've um, ever been in the process of being responsible for pick up, picking up balloons and trying to get them in the back of your car and then trying to get them to, um, trying to, get them to the, the party, um, like a, a balloon, there's a couple different ways that a balloon can function. Um, number one is if a balloon is overinflated, what does it do? It just, it just goes, it pops, or either it just goes up and up and up and up, and it just goes way up into the, the, the sky because it's overinflated. If it doesn't have anything to tether it, it's just completely gone. And what good is a balloon that's in the middle of the atmosphere? It does no good. There's actually, it's overinflated. It has too much air. It flies away. It self-destructs or even it, it, it pops. And the solution, um, do you know what uh, overinflated balloons need? Um, they, they need uh, an anchor. They need a rock. They need um, a weight. They need something heavy that they're tied to in order to keep them grounded. Because if they're not grounded, the balloon will just escape. It will go away and it will be meaningless and purposeless and won't actually serve its purpose. So you have overinflated balloons. And then the other extreme is you have a deflated balloon. A deflated balloon doesn't have enough air. It's, it's out of air. It doesn't fly away. It falls to the ground. And the solution for a deflated balloon, do you know what a deflated balloon needs? It needs breath on the inside. It needs air on the inside. It, it needs air on the inside to bring them up. You, you, ever, um, you ever 
been to a party or been to an event, work or gym or gymnasium or something like that, and one of the balloons got away and they, they went up to the, into the ceiling, and, and then you come back the next day and it's just kind of hovering right here. You ever seen that? The reason is because it had too much air, but now it has the perfect amount of air so that it's just in the right area. It's just in the right space. I'd like to argue today and to offer you today that Christ is both the string and the air. Christ is both the string for the balloon that needs to be tethered to an anchor, to a rock, and Christ is both the breath in a balloon that would give it life or give it fullness in order to be able to float appropriately. Now here are these false views, self-worship, the false view of self-worship, and then the false view of self-loathing. Both of these views, I would argue, have a flawed view of themselves and of glory. And who we are and how God has made us and how we should think about ourselves and have a right relationship with self. I would like to offer Psalm 8 verses 3 through 5. The first time I heard this preached in this way by a pastor named David Platt absolutely wrecked me because I didn't think we were able to think of ourselves like this. Says this, the psalmist says in Psalm 8, 3 through 5, talking about the creation of God and what God has made. When I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? What about these humans, these people? How should we think of ourselves? And then he says this. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, speaking of the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. Here's what the scriptures say about yourself is that when God made you, he gave you a crown. That when God made you, he crowns you with something that, that is in the symbol, it's a spiritual metaphor, that he crowns you with something that gives you dignity and honor. He crowns you with his own glory. And that when God made you, he gave you glory, he gave you dignity, he gave you value. The person that struggles with self-worship thinks that they have to create their own glory, that it's not enough of what they have already in God. The person that struggles with self-loathing doesn't think that they have any glory and needs to understand and rightfully recognize the glory that they have in Christ already. Both struggle with a right relationship with understanding glory. And our, our culture, you, you know, we start to talk about self as, as a church. And I mean, the culture is all over this self-esteem and self-help and self this and self that. And we have a fundamentally different way that we approach the self as the church. The cultural approach is that you need to figure out how to make yourself valuable. You need to figure out how to have value, how to have self-esteem, how to make yourself valuable. The Christian approach is to learn how God has already made you valuable, that God has already given you dignity and, and value yourself, which means the way God made you, that you already possess honor and glory. You already possess dignity and value in your Self. And here's why this is so important. God has already given you, I would like to call it a personal assignment. God has already done the work of personalization uh, for you. And here, here's what I mean. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to step into a little bit of challenging waters here. God has already given you an assignment. How God made you is how he made you. So whoever you are in the room, Every single one of us has an ethnic assignment. God made you according to your ethnicity. He chose that 
That wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an oops. He gave you an ethnic assignment, which means every single one of us should look at our own ethnicity, should look at our own selves, and we should see dignity and value and how God has made us to be. In addition to that, not only he's given you an ethnic assignment, he's given you a gender assignment. The scriptures tell us at the very beginning that God made him male and female, created he them. And he said that he made them in his own image, which means you have a gender assignment. If God made you biologically as a, as a man, that is your assignment. God's made you that way. If God has made you as a woman, as a female, he has made you that way, which means there's value and there's dignity in that. And here's the struggle. Many, even in our day, we struggle with even our own gender identity which means wrestling with who we are bodily, biologically, having a hard time. And I can't even imagine what it would be like to internally feel that you're something different than what God has assigned you to be, which means you have to trust and to recognize that God's assignment for you, that you can love yourself as God has already made you and designed you and assigned you to be. Just like your ethnicity, he's given you a, a gender assignment. He's, he's also given you, I'll just do, do an easy one. He's given you a height assignment. He's already determined how tall you should be. How many of us in middle school hated our height? I've never met one person that was excited about their height in, in middle school. Like, I, I just, I just love being, I'm like, right, like five, five. I mean, it's just like, I mean, that is exact. I mean, I just feel like that is the, the, be- the, the wonder of God's design. It, it, people that are short, people are short, they hate, they hate that they're short. People that are tall, they hate that they're, they're, they're tall. Here, here's, it's an easy one, but God's already assigned to you what your height should be, which means love it. Love it. That five, one and a half, love that. Love that. That's that six, seven, love, love that. Embrace that. That's the assignment that God has given you. Here's another one, your personality assignment. Your personality assignment. Are you boisterous? Are you energetic? Are you, are you that way? Are you, are you reserved? Are you calm? Are you, are you kind of laid back? Are you extroverted and you love being on the phone and you love talking to people? Are you kind of introverted and you kind of like to go for walks and put the headphones in in the coffee shop and just be by yourself? However God has made you, like, hey, love yourself. Lo- love yourself. I'm trying to let the rubber meet the road right, right here. Like, your hair color. Oh, gosh, can I go here? Can I not go here? Like, whether you have hair or don't have hair, like, Like genuinely, do you love yourself? Do you love yourself? Are you always trying to be something you're not? Are you always trying to be something God didn't expect you to be? Are you always trying to be a different version, a different kind of self when God has made you the way he wanted you to be? He made you made you. A couple years ago, we we did this exercise. I've I've talked about this before as a a staff, and we try to do these things that are helpful and help us make make ourselves more self-aware so that we can understand how to relate to one another on our team. And we've got a growing team, and it's it's awesome. There's this tool that's called Strengths Finders. I don't know if you've ever done this before. There's 34 different strength themes, and there's a little test that you can take online. It takes about uh, 10 minutes or 20 minutes, depending on your personality. Um, how long to take the test. 
Uh, but whenever you're done with the test, it gives you it gives you what your strengths are. It's an amazing tool. It's 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 awesome. You get you get your. It tells you your top five. It doesn't tell you all of them because you only need to focus on your top five. Okay, we all we all want to look at the bottom. Then just look at the top. Okay, what are you, what are your strengths? Uh, mine. Um, uh, this is so helpful for me. It's, it's, I'm futuristic, I'm ideation, I'm intellection, I'm learner, and I'm achiever. I'm like, you put those five together, I'm unique, okay? I'm really unique. Um, and here's what, here's, what the, here's what the instructor said. The instructor said that no two people ever in the history of the world will have the exact same strengths results. Meaning, just based on, not based on physical characteristics, none of that stuff, just based on pure strengths and weaknesses. The, the instructor said that there are 34 different themes and no two people have the exact same themes in the exact same order. And every single person in the world has a different order. No two people are exactly the same. And in that moment, I just said, wow, everybody's different. Everybody's different. Um, can, I, can I say this in like a pastoral way and not a cheesy way that you're unique? <laughs> that you are unique and that, can I, can I say that there is no one like you? There is no one like you. You are, you are one of a kind. And when God made you, he made you just the way that you needed to be. And so I don't have to self-worship and think more highly of myself than I should. I don't have to self-loathe and think too lowly of myself but I can love myself. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here's a little, just last little quick one. Some of us aren't doing a great job at loving our neighbors. Perhaps the reason is because we're not doing a good job at loving ourselves. When you learn to love yourself, it allows you to be free to love others. Loving yourself just the way God made you to be. Amen. Let's pray. Father, today we just sit here in this moment and we thank you for your creation. The way that you made us to be. God, I pray that every single person in the room would would love them themselves, who you've made them to be. That they would stop trying to be something that they're not. They, they would stop believing something that they are not, but that they would believe exactly who you have made us to be. And we are not who we say we are. We are not who others say we are, but we are who you say we are. So God, help us to know and to believe and to trust that we are you say that we are. Father, we submit this in Jesus' name.